You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. What's up, guys? Welcome into Packers Total Access. My name is Clayton. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you like to email the show, you can send a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. We've got a special guest on the pod tonight. This is going to be a real treat. Uh, I've got to uh, chat with Tony offline and getting to know him. And, uh, man, I tell you, for someone who was just such a, a mauler on the football field, this is a guy that I think you guys are going to come to find out real quick. Uh, it's just, uh, I don't know, man. It's, it's just like we instantly connected, Tony. You've got that in you, man. And I, I know you're doing some uh, public speaking and things mm-hmm. like that off on the side, and it shows. But we've got Tony Mandarich, the former number two overall pick in the 1989 draft. Um, golly, uh, you were, what, 1988 All-American in college football? Mm-hmm. Um, recruited by the great Nick Saban, which is kind of yep. cool because I just learned that uh, your parents were Croatian immigrants and uh, and Nick was Croatian. Is that right? Yeah, yeah he was. Yeah, he was. And that was yeah. an instant connection, was it not? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. Uh, and he had, you know, I'm from Canada, so he had when he was recruiting me to Michigan State, he had come to Canada. I would say three times visited with me and my parents. So it was. Uh, I mean, you know, that was like 19 like early 1980s 83 84 so and recruiting has just got more and more competitive and intense so but yeah it's like the coaches are man they put in some hours yeah yeah and he i've kind of followed along with nick saban i'm i'm a closet i'm down here in the middle of the sec right but i'm i'm kind of a closet nick saban fan there was a time where i like to root against bama but now i'm to the point where i'm like I want. I kind of want Nick to win a few more. He seems like yeah. a really good guy. He's legit. I mean, there's, there's, you know, so he recruited me, and I got to. I mean, I know Nick very well. I know his wife Terry well, and I mean, there was even a time in college where me and my girlfriend at the time babysat for him. Right. So it's like you know, it, it was like like if the guy that recruits you usually will like look out for you even if he's not your position coach because he was a db coach at michigan state I was on right, the offensive yeah. line. so even though he didn't coach me every day you know he was always kind of like hey you know you doing all right make sure you're going to class kind of it's like like your guy right it's like and that's how i think it probably still is today but um nick was really believe it or not nick was he's obviously different 30, 40 years later. Right. But fundamentally, he was the same. He was the same. He was about discipline. He was about just do your job. He was about all the things that you see on TV now about him and like the talks he gives and this and that. Um, that was Nick back in the early 80s. And he just wasn't known like he is now. And obviously, he's changed because, you know, of growth and He's got what six, seven national championships, and, <laughs> and if, if somebody would have told me, even knowing what I knew know about Nick, if somebody would have told me when he went to Alabama that he would be, you know, 
considered one of probably at this point today the best Alabama coach ever. I would say there's no way you could say that with you know because because of Bear Bryant, right? But but I'm I don't even think it's an argument. Anymore. No, it's not. I mean, he is the best Alabama coach ever, and that is zero disrespect to Coach Bear Bryant. Right. And and I still think he has three or four championships in him. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. And, you know, he kind of gets uh, dogged a little bit because he went to Miami and struggled with the Dolphins. But, you know, a, a lot of people don't know he he was real big on he wanted to sign Drew Brees. And mm-hmm. it sounds like ownership was a little bit more hesitant than him to sign Brees. And, you know, I heard a saying the other day, Tony, they said the, the three keys to being a good head coach in football is a patient wife, a loyal dog, and a good quarterback, not in that order. <laughs> and I'm thinking if he had Drew Brees, he's probably oh, yeah. coaching in the NFL, you know. Right. I mean, you think about it, Drew Brees was what leaving San Diego then, I think, because yeah. they said San Diego thought Drew Brees' career was over. Right. And he, he ended up going on to play another 10, 12 years and, and win Super Bowls. Playing but, his best football, right? Right, right. And um and, and a big ten quarterback, I will mention. And, uh, <laughs> but you know, people sometimes, you know, and, and it's not just fans, but you know, I mean, it's probably going to be a little bit more specific to fans because this, these are the people with the strong opinions, but you have to remember at the end of the day, whether you're a coach or whether you're a player at that level, it's a business. Yeah. And Nick would have succeeded in the nfl i'm very confident about that there were just other opportunities that probably were more attractive and yeah. there were probably some things about the pros that he loved there was probably some things about the pros he didn't really uh, you know appreciate what really made his you know what really filled his void if you will or what really cranked his blood was coaching kids right and developing you know guys that would come in as freshmen by the time they get to their fourth or fifth year, they're turning into young men going into the world or going into the NFL. So if that's your calling, then he's doing it awfully well. Yeah, absolutely. I I couldn't agree more. I got Dakota in the chat. What's up? Hey, Dakota, appreciate you hanging out with us. Also got Jacob in here with us who said, uh, what's up fellas. Can't wait to listen to this interview. Go pack, go. You see uh, Tony already sporting the G he's carrying the G tonight. Gotta love it. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, uh, we, we kind of talked about it a little bit. We, it's funny. We had a, we had a, a order we were going to go in and we're already off. I've, I've already got it off the rails here. Tom. That's the way it, it works it, on this pot. <laughs> we'll just let it roll. Right. We'll wrap back around and I want to get all the details of just what it was like to be a Packer. But, you know, we mm-hmm. kind of talked a little bit about, you know, the city of green Bay and the community and the Packer fans, you know, what was kind of your experience just with the fans there in green Bay? What, what was it like being a Packer, you know, back in, what was it? 1989. Yeah. And if 89, 92 for me. And, and, you know, it's like looking back, even, you know, I left there in 92 after 92, even in the early two thousands, this was even after I played in Indianapolis for three years. Um, Looking back and, you know, I was in a bad place. And when I say I was in a bad place, I personally was in a bad place. It wasn't that Green Bay was the bad place. And my lack of appreciation for what Green Bay was and what it represented and what the people represented and what the state of Wisconsin represented 
I just had such a bad, immature attitude. And little did I know, you know, I had this, it was really like a selfish attitude because I was like, what's in it for me? Like, what's in it? Where can I get the biggest, you know, deals for, you know, promotional stuff? Well, probably in the biggest markets like New York or LA or, or whatever the case may be. That's how I approached it. That's how I looked at it. Where now getting old, you know, older, or wiser, as I like to say, <laughs> you look back and you go, you know, you had the opportunity to play at the Mecca of an NFL team, like of the NFL. It's like, I don't care what people in Texas say about that one team. You slap a star on your helmet. You're called America's team. I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, the pack I've never seen in my life. This, and this includes college football because fans in, in college football are, you know, crazy. But as far as, <laughs> as far as loyalty goes, like loyalty fans, I've never ever seen fans in the NFL as loyal as Packer fans. And obviously for home games, obviously for support for the team, you know, even when you're losing, yeah, they would get on you as they should when you're losing. But we would go to away games, and it didn't matter if it was West Coast or if it was down South or in, in the Midwest. And I swear, it's like a third of the stadium was green and gold. And we'd be, you know, we'd be the, the road team. And, you know, out of that third of that stadium, I'm sure some of them were traveling Packer fans that were from Wisconsin. But a lot of them were, you know, say native to the city that we were playing or you know, close to that surrounding area and they were loyal to the Packers, right? They were, they were, you know, bleeding green and gold. And so you kind of like, at first it's a surprise, but then you're kind of like expect it. And then when you leave, and then if you go play for a different team, in my case, it was Indianapolis, you don't see that. I mean, <laughs> it's not even close. And, and that's not a diss on Indianapolis. I don't really see it with – there's a few other teams that have some loyalty like that, like Dallas. Yeah. Miami, I think, used to have it. I don't know if they have it as much anymore. But there's a few teams like that that have that kind of loyalty. But even those teams, don't. In, from what my experience has been, I don't see it like how Green Bay fans do it. I mean, they are, they are hardcore. And, they, and they're not – you know what? They're not idiots. You know, there's some fans that are idiots. Like, there's some fans that are just... <laughs> there are. There are some fans in the NFL that are just, like, a, a group of fans or that are just... Let's just say they're unsafe, you know? And Packer fans are not like that. They're as loyal as can be. It's And, and it's, you know... I wish I would have appreciated it more when I was there so I could have let it sink in more. But at least I got to the point where I could look back and appreciate it and be like, man, that place is special. Yeah, definitely. I think that's very well said. Uh, you know, I kind of told you offline my my experience, and and yeah. I know our listeners have heard it a hundred times. I'm so passionate about the team, but it really what I've dug into is the history of the city of Green Bay and how football got actually uh, introduced. Was a uh, a young man by the name of his name was Fred, who came from college playing rugby and, and, you know, at the time in the 1800s, these rugby players were starting to change the rules a little bit. And right. that ended up becoming what pro football is today. American football, I should say. Right. 
and he introduced it to the city of Green Bay. They started a town team. Then you got next thing you know, you got two high school teams, East and West, big rivals. Right. right. And it was just this this perfect storm, you know, with uh, yeah. with you know just one or two of those details of the story itself. Maybe the story doesn't unfold the way right. it does. You know, it's just right. a thin threads. And yeah. Speaking of thin threads, let's uh let's kind of go back to the beginning a little bit. I know there's so many Packer fans that, that haven't heard your story and, and you grew up in Canada, like I said, uh, you know, yep. your parents were uh, Croatian immigrants and you had a brother too, that played football. Am I thinking right at Kent state? Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yep. He, he played at Kent state university in Kent, Ohio. And then uh, he was the first round draft pick for the, in the Canadian football league with the Edmonton Eskimos played there, I think 10 years. And then I, after okay. that one year with, I think Ottawa in the, in the, Canadian league. Um, but he was a big influence for me to, you know, to play football. Um, and he, he's just a great, great guy and relentless at work ethic and, and <laughs> just relentless at like, don't even think about making an excuse as far as, <laughs> you know, missing a workout or, or something like that. And, uh, and, and, you know, the cool thing was, uh, yeah, I mean, he was five years older, and it was like he's my brother. He was my hero, and very influential on me. And he had gotten a scholarship to Kent State, so it kind of, kind of planted that seed of you know, this is something I think I would like pursue. I would like to to do. And we lived in you know, grew up in southern Ontario, just outside of Toronto. So Buffalo was a forty-five minute drive. Uh, Detroit was a three-hour drive. So you know. Back in the day, you know, back in the late 70s or mid 70s, late 70s, you know, you're getting those three main networks. So I'm always watching the Bills or the Lions. Right. And or the Eagles, you know, Philly in the afternoon. And so you're limited. But the stuff you do see, you know, I'm sitting there glued to the TV, you know, and and at, literally at 11 years old, I made a decision that I was like, this is what I want to do for a living. I mean, what, like, what, it was like, yeah, it was like one of those, when I grow up, this is what I want to do. Yeah. And, and, and I remember writing it down on a piece of paper and, you know, luckily, you know, there had to be some luck, but a lot of work too. And, and it worked out. That's awesome. Absolutely yeah. awesome. And if I understood correctly, it was, did, did your brother, if I heard the story right, your brother convinced your parents to let you go to high school in the yeah. States. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. We talked about it because, you know, these days, uh, U.S. colleges do recruit in Canada, especially in that area where I grew up because it's the most, the most of the populations in that area. And uh, but back in that day, they didn't come to Canadian or U.S. colleges, or at least the big ones, didn't come to Canada to recruit because it was Canadian football, high school football, especially is like almost like I don't want to say non-existent. I mean, it's there, but compared to U.S. high school football, it's it's like a whole different ball game. And so he convinced my parents and to move down with him and to live with him when he was a senior at Kent State. And I would go to the local high school, Kent Roosevelt High School, and hopefully um, when scouts would come to the, the football games at Kent Roosevelt, uh, the college scouts, that, you know, I would get noticed and, and, and hopefully get a scholarship. That was really like the plan, right? Yeah. What worked out luckily for, for us was Kent Roosevelt had five players that were like tier one 
recruits. And so obviously there's going to be tons of scouts coming. So that obviously helped me out. And Ohio was one of Coach Saban's areas for recruiting. And Coach Saban went to Kent State. And one of Coach Saban's very good friends was Coach John Nemec, who was my head coach at Kent Roosevelt High School. So it's like interesting how the whole dynamic tied in. So John Nemec, my high school head coach, had said to Nick, you know, look, we've got these other guys. He's like, which obviously you should check out. But he's like, there's this kid that came down from Canada and I think he's got some ability and, and you should, you know, if you're interested, this is his number and watch him play. And, you know, one thing led to another and took, you know, talked to Nick and, and, and took a visit to, you know, East Lansing and, um, and I took a visit to a few other places, but I, once I went to East Lansing, I knew that was the place. Yeah. Those school visits really matter, don't they? They do. They do. And they, they do. And they've changed a ton since, you know, when I was going, like when I, you know, Mike visit, you know, it's like, yeah, they, they whine you and they dine you and they want you to have fun and a good time and, and, and all that. And, but now it's, it's, it's still a lot of that, but there's a lot of things that are, that have changed that I've, you know, just heard firsthand from people about, you know, now, you know, high school recruits that are, it doesn't matter if they're super high end or, or, or like top tier recruits or not. It's like, they're asking questions like how many different uniforms are we wearing this year? And I'm like, I'm like thinking to myself, what do you yeah. mean? Like how many different, I mean, it's like we wore, you know, our dark uniforms at home and our white uniforms or lighter colored uniforms on the road. And that's just how it was, yeah. you know, for, for, Ever since I could remember, that's how it was in the NFL. Ever since I could remember, so when you know, I think when Nike and Oregon, you know, got their thing going, and every game they had a different uniforms, different helmets, different chrome this, chrome that, and shiny this and shiny that. Yeah, you know, I I, I think it was cool, but um, you know, there's a part of me that says, do I want a kid playing for me? If I'm a coach at a college, do I want a kid playing for me where their, their most important priority is how many different uniforms do we have this year? So that is, you know, that's like a huge change that, yeah. that, you know, now granted, I mean, you got to roll with changes, but you have that. And then you have this whole portal thing, you know, with recruiting that is changing a lot of things. Yeah. NIL is the wild west. I'm, yeah. I am watching it so close, like, my goodness, how is this going to play out? You know, yeah. there's there's, there's going to be agencies involved and, and agents will always find a way to get their yeah. hands on some of that. Right. I mean, it's they just, will. Yeah. I, I, in, in the big scheme of things, you know, look, I want the kids to make money. Yeah, I do. Sure. But I, I think I think it's going to implode. I think it's going to implode within two or three years. Like there's going to be so many negative things that were not foreseen coming as far as distractions that, that they're going to either really put, you know, boundaries and rules on it. Like, and they have them now already, but even like, just make it real strict. But if you don't have a consequence, it's, you could play at five different colleges in five years. Right. When I went to college, if you transferred, I mean, it had to, I mean, you better make sure you're making the right choice because you got to sit a year. 
So here, there's no consequence for that. Right. It's like if you don't like what, you know, because you're not starting and you think you should be starting and that's why you're leaving, you know, what does that say about you about as far as a player or a young man on how to handle adversity? Yeah. You know, right. So. These are all things that, that scouts are looking for. And, and, you know, it, it, that's the big, uh, I don't know. That's the big thing that I'm learning uh, as I get, you know, deeper into this, this fandom mm -hmm. of not just the Packers, but the NFL in general is, is just the background checks alone and trying to dig in a little bit deeper and going, is this someone who loves the game of football? Is this someone who's going right. to dedicate themselves? And, and I know at Michigan state, if I remember uh, the story correctly, um, you know, Nick was trying to kind of explain to you, here's what the daily grind is going to look like. And you basically told him, well, I'm going to do twice as much, right? That's <laughs> More or less. Yeah. That More or less. That was the, the conversation or, you know, he was basically saying, you know, there's going to be a lot of, demand we have very high standards and we're going to hold everybody including you to high standards of expecting you to do this 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 and this as they should they're yeah. investing money into you as a, as a scholarship and, and i was like yeah and i said i'll i'll do the workouts but i'm also going to do my own workouts in addition to like my weightlifting workouts and he he looked at me like just puzzled <laughs> he looked at me puzzled like he looked at me puzzled, like, I don't know if this kid understands how tired he's going to be <laughs> when we get done with him, right? And, and to his point, he was right. But, you know, internally, I have I had that thing that I wanted to be the best college football player in the country at my position. And if that's what you're going to say, and if that's what your your drive is, well, you can't train like everybody else. You have to do more. And, you know, that applies in sport, business, doesn't matter what it is. You know, if you want to be the best dog groomer, you have to groom more dogs or or whatever it is. You have to put the time in. You have to, you know, rinse and repeat, refine and, and, and keep going. So, you know, I was like, if I want to be an extraordinary player, I need to put in extraordinary work above and beyond what's asked of me. Yeah. Yeah, it, like you said, it, you know, business and everything else in life, you know, if you to live, if you want to live like no one else, you've got to live like no one else. Right. Right. Got right. To, yeah, I mean, above the line, all those. You can't unquote, live nine to five. Yeah, yeah. You can't live nine to five if you want the extra. Yeah, absolutely. You know? and, and there's nothing wrong with nine to five. Right. You know, that's just it. There's nothing wrong with that. But if but don't criticize somebody that wants to work right. 14 hours a day either. Exactly. Yeah. If you, know. if you <laughs> I'm trying to be nice here, but I mean, the way <laughs> I look at it, we, you know, we, we grew up a little bit rough. I was born in a house and projects and I watched my mom scrap her ass right. off her entire right. life to give her family what, what it needed. And, uh, you know, when I look up and go, hold up, you're, you're going to, you're going to hold it against me because I'm wanting to work harder. No, I ain't right. Get them out of my life. Right. Get right. Them out of my life. It's the only Agreed. way you can handle it. Um, so, Let's get into, I guess, kind of the tough part. Um, you know, you're at Michigan State, and I, I hope this isn't inappropriate. <clears throat> but nothing's nothing's inappropriate. If it's inappropriate, I'll say, look, it's inappropriate. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is the thing that 
the way I always looked at the game of football, and, and I grew up in the 90s, right? I, my, my earliest memories were the late 80s, and yeah. I, I don't want to sit here and pretend like, oh, I knew who the players were and this and that. Just as a young boy, it's like, man, I've fallen in love with this game of football. There was a movie that came out, and, and this is kind of off cuff. I didn't tell you we were going to talk about this, but this just came to mind. One of my favorite movies is called The Program. It's a college mm. football movie. Oh, yeah. Yep. And I remember when it came out, there were so many people going, oh, that's not how it really is. That's that's not, you know, what's the, the college games about. And they're just trying to down it, downplay it and, you know, dog it and this and that. And lo and behold, all these years later, we look up and go, that's how everything was going on. There were <laughs> boosters paying players. Now it's legal to pay them, right? Right, right, right. There were boosters paying players. We all know about steroids. Um, mm -hmm. You know, to me, I don't know all the history of steroids, but the 70s seemed like the era when it really, boom, it kind of came yeah. on onto the scene. So you had, you know, all these college players are, are looking for that advantage, you know, and, and it's one of those things too, you know, just like any addiction, I think, Tony, that that you get addicted to succeeding, too. It's like absolutely, absolutely. I'm going to do whatever it takes to make sure I'm the best. Absolutely. And some people like to virtue signal and stand on their ivory tower and say, mm -hmm. I did it the right way and this and that. And, right. and it's there's a lot of people that said that right. until they had to come clean. And right. I don't I just don't look at people during that era and go that's a bad person. I go, that was someone who was willing to do whatever it took. People pretend like the work still didn't need to, ha didn't have to be right. done. Right. right, and, right and it's right. like it, you had all these players that were, were, you know, trying the same thing to try to gain that advantage, but only a handful of them really came out the other side and were willing to put in the work. Right. So right. Um, when it comes to college football and, and as you got ready for the NFL draft and, I, I was reading you ran a four six forty at six foot six, and how many yeah. pounds, Tony? Three, oh, that day I was three oh eight. Three oh eight running a four yeah. six forty. My gosh! Yeah. So, you know, you're you're kind of getting ready to go into the NFL, whether it was your junior, senior year, whatever. As you're kind of kind of winding down the college career, yeah. what was the moment where it's like, okay, I'm going to do everything I can? to to gain that advantage and kind of you know how did that come about i guess is the best way to ask well so it would be you're always well i shouldn't say you're if you're in that mindset you're always looking for the advantage and that doesn't mean i, I mean that includes legal advantages you know that includes um and i was talking with a buddy of mine earlier about you know, the 40 time and the fast 40. Well, that didn't happen. You know, a lot of people say, well, it was a steroids. And it's like, okay, well, that was maybe that was maybe a spoke in the wheel of 20 spokes that made the right. complete player. You know, nobody really talks about the fact that I worked with the track coach at Michigan State for two full years. And for the sole purpose of sprinting a 40. A fast 40 because the way you sprint a 40 is not how you block as an offensive lineman yeah, right. as an offensive lineman you want a wide base of and you want to chop your feet and you don't want to you know you never want to cross your feet over because you lose leverage and the guy can just toss you like reggie white did me and uh <laughs> and he did it to many people Absolutely. But, but i i got a strength i mean i i spent time with our track coach at michigan state and I had him teach me the, you know, I said, this is, this is two years before the combine. 
So I have two full seasons of football left. And I went to that coach knowing that I'm working on this for something that's going to happen two years from now, because I want, because I know that that's a valuable thing that if you do well at this, it's going to help with the shuttle, doing a, a running shuttle and you know, you're making a business investment in yourself. Right. So I learned the best techniques that I could learn on how to sprint out of coming out of the blocks, even though we couldn't use blocks when we were doing the 40, it's like the best way to sprint if you don't have blocks, but come out and how to use your hands, how to use your legs, how to use your hips, how to finish through the finish line at the 40. So I spent two seasons, two off seasons, learning all that and practicing it. So part of it is, 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 yeah, I mean, you have to have some gift of speed and or ability, athletic ability, but that has to be also worked on to, to really refine it. So if everybody could just take a shot of something, a steroid or some magic drug that makes you fast, everybody should be running fast 40s at 308, right? If, if, it, if, it, if, if steroids, and, and let me just preface by saying, I condone the use of steroids. Do not use steroids, okay? Right. Um, but it's like if, if steroids, if you took steroids and they just worked, like you got big shoulders and you got strong and you could bench five, 600 pounds, and you could squat 700, 800 pounds and do all this. Well, then why isn't everybody doing it? Like, what, like is, you know, it's like everybody would be doing it. And then the other factor is there was guys stronger than me that just didn't have the ability to be able to put it all together. You got to be able to, wasn't fast enough because they were so big, wasn't quick enough because they were too big and too strong. Um, then there were some that were big enough, strong enough, fast enough, quick enough, but couldn't think on the run. And that didn't mean that they were stupid. It's just like, it's just a different, that game is a different animal. And so you've got a, it's like a football player is a football player. Yeah. He's not a tennis player. And it's, I'm, I'm sure tennis has so many nuances that I know nothing about, even though I know the fundamentals of tennis, that those guys at the top train all the time on certain things that are little things, but that are the difference between good and great. Yeah. So, you know, I, you know, I trained two years for that 40 and, you know, I ran a fast 40 and, and, you know, I, I had stopped steroids 16 weeks before that. And that was cause I was like, you know, the rumors out and it's a, it's a very badly kept secret, obviously. <laughs> and so I was like, I'm done with it because now, and, and, and I'm kind of making a business decision. Now I risk losing if I test positive for steroids. Right. And so I was like, I'm done with them. And yep. so, you know, okay. So 16, you know, 16 weeks later, I run my 40. And to me, I really don't care if people even now say, well, it was because of steroids or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. I know what the truth is. Right. And I don't even think they hold my time in the NFL combine record, because even though it's still to date, nobody's run faster at offensive line. There's been some that have come close. There's been one guy that was like 360, weighed 360, ran a four seven, which is incredible. Yeah. Think about it, right. I mean, that's like smoking. 
but they didn't recognize they don't recognize it in the official books because it wasn't run in indianapolis where the combine is it was run at michigan state but you had over 30 to 40 scouts and coaches they're timing it yeah so and they were all getting pretty much the same times and it's like so that kind of like makes me go well why are you not counting it it's like you know it's like i don't lose sleep over it but i'm like Let's just spit the truth out. If you think that it's not legitimate because I took steroids, then say that. Right. You know, but uh, it's 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 something personally I'm proud of because of all the other work also that went into running that. And that's, you know, we just spent five minutes talking about that. And that's one spoke in the wheel. Right. (laughs) That's not even working out like with weights. And that's not even doing offensive line drills. Yeah. You know, it's like all these other things. And then, and then you've got, you know, school, you got to go to school. Right. And, you know, and I don't want to say you got to stay out of trouble. I mean, by default, that's expected. But how many great players do we know that blow it because they get in trouble? Absolutely. You know, Especially. I mean, you know, it's like with the law or whatever. I mean, I blew it for myself. I self-sabotaged myself over those four years, right? With the abuse of opioids and and alcohol at Green Bay. So it's like, mine was like a slow self-sabotage, but when you see people get drafted and you see the projection that they were supposed to be in the top 10 picks, and all of a sudden they've dropped down to the third round, it's usually not because of the film. Right. It's usually something that they've done background checks on that they found out about, or he tested dirty for something and it probably wasn't a, a, a steroid. It was probably a street drug or, or something because now like steroids in the NFL. Now I would say are almost, almost non-existent Yeah, because the testing is so rigid and, and, and it was getting rigid when, when I entered. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. You know, you were kind of talking about, you know, steroids doesn't just magically make you, you know, a better football player. I think it, it might give you a little bit, a little extra of what you need to become that player. Um, yeah. You know, I remember when Barry Bonds, uh, you know, that kind of burst onto the scene. And, and we know how our baseball purists love their stats and love their <laughs> record books and everything. But, you know, right. I'm I'm personally not a big Barry Bonds fan. Uh, nothing right. personal. I've just not right. been like, hey, man, I love Barry Bonds. But right. I remember when he started catching the heat and he started going after the records. But, again, that competitiveness comes out because you look up and go, hold up a minute. Sammy, I just had to sit here. and This is me being Barry Bonds for a minute. I had to sit here and watch Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire right. get all of this recognition. Right. And break the single season home run record. And I'm sitting right. over here playing clean and right. I'm not even getting noticed. It, you know, it didn't make Barry Bonds a Hall of Fame baseball player. What it gave right. Barry Bonds is just a little bit more bat speed, which meant a little more time to look at that ball. Yep. And that was the edge. And it, it, in my opinion, that's the evil pl- even playing field is right. okay. Now let's see who's a better hitter. Is it Mark right. McGuire or is it Barry Bonds? Because they're both right. on even playing field. Right, right. And Barry so, Bonds, you know, I'm not a huge baseball fan, although I did follow that whole era, like that part that you're talking about because of the home run records were being broken. Uh, and I, Barry Bonds was probably going to go to the Hall of Fame, even if he never broke a record. 
like a home run record because he was already like yeah. a tier one all-star yeah before he you know started really like because when you see that big jump in one year <laughs> it becomes more obvious right right so but barry bonds and again i'm not a baseball fan never met barry bonds don't know barry bonds but he was a great player long before he took steroids and yeah. like you said he wanted to he was very competitive and Kind of was like, look, if they're doing it, you know, I'm going to do it. This is me assuming this. Um, but he, he, you also kind of got to have good hand-eye coordination. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot more to baseball than just, you know, if, if everybody could take, you know, or if someone who's a, a baseball player with aspirations to play in the majors takes steroids, it just doesn't happen. You just yeah. don't get to the majors and become great. It's like there's so much work to it that's a fact that is a fact um let's do this let's shift gears um so coming out of michigan state uh we talked about the combine talked about the preparation all that and then you get drafted by the green bay packers what was i mean just just start at the beginning tony like where were you at when you got the phone call were you in i don't even know if they invited players to the draft at the time or not i'm not sure exactly how because at the time it was at what music or radio city music hall i believe no uh in new york yeah 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 i believe it was in new york Uh, it was yeah yeah, it was there or madison square garden i think it was at radio city i think they did um, yeah yeah yeah. and so two weeks prior to the draft Dallas had come out into the, to the media and said, we are on draft day. We are going to draft Troy Aikman. So okay. we're already starting to negotiate a contract with them. And green Bay came out and said, if Dallas holds true to their word, then we're going to draft Tony as a second pick. So, and there was really no reason for Dallas to be playing games as far as uh, draft day games, because they needed a quarterback badly. Right. And so green, my draft day experience was actually pretty, it was very unique. It was very cool. It was very cool what Green Bay did. Um, they flew, they flew me in to be at Lambeau um, because they had, that's where they had, you know, the whole coaching thing, the office, the draft yeah. war room, all that was in the stadium in, in where the coaches offices are. So, you know, we always see the video of, wherever the draft is being held, you know, each team has their table with their little logo and there's one or two people there that take a phone call on who to, you know, say to the guy to send the letter up to the commissioner to say, this is who we're drafting. So when Dallas drafted Troy, I was, you know, in green Bay and, you know, with all the coaches there. And I remember coach Infante and Tom Bratt saying, um, okay, we're going to dial this number which is going to be on the floor of the of the or uh, the draft room in at Massey uh, or Radio City Music Hall or whatever it was. <laughs> he goes, but we want you to make the call. No, <laughs> that is all. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of the coolest things. It was like, wow, like this is really cool. I was, I you know, I was like, this is just really cool. It was. How many times in your life do you get an opportunity to do something like that? Yeah. And, and I was so grateful because I, I mean, I didn't think about it. They came up with that idea. So it, it was funny because the conversation, although it was very short with the, with the gentleman that I called who ended up, you know, ended up knowing cause he worked for the Packers. 
you know, I, I called and, 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 and they're showing it on live TV and he answers and I go, Hey, it's, uh, it's Tony Vandridge. And so they must've let him in on it. And I, you know, it's, it's weird to say, I want you to draft me, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he's like writing my name down and I'm sure they already had it written down or whatever. And, and then he gives it to the person and the person walks it up. And, and then I said, all right, thanks. You know, and you know, I'll meet you when, you know, I'm sure shortly at whatever, when you come back and which I thought was a very unique, fun experience, that experience I'll never forget the rest of my life. Yeah. That's amazing. And that was yeah. the old Lambeau field. It was yeah. just, I mean, yeah. you, you see some of the pictures and if I'm thinking correctly, I believe that front office you were talking about was actually attached at one end zone. It was like this little, Correct. this, you know, like a little office complex. Uh, it's amazing how times have changed. It's yeah. just, you see some of the, I've actually got a picture of that specific stadium hanging up right here. And it's just, right. it's like, man, it's, it's changed so much. Right. It's just amazing. Right. Um, yeah. I've got, yeah. It was awesome. So you get to your first training camp. What's uh? There's got to be there's got to be one or two stories right from your first training camp where yeah. you go, um, man. Let me, you know, like the other day I had Mike Wall on, former offensive lineman mm-hmm. for the Packers, and he he talked about hitting Reggie, and you know because this is on the back the back nine of Reggie's career when yeah, he came yeah. in as an offensive lineman. He was like, Reggie was different. You hit him, it was like that was like, that hurt that it's like hitting a wall. You know, he just had that natural strength and, and just being one of the greatest of all time. But, you know, with your first training camp, what, what sticks out? Any stories you got, anything like that? Yeah. The biggest story is my holdout. I didn't, I didn't go to training camp. Right. So I signed, I held out because of negotiations and, and I signed, I believe it was, if I remember correctly, September 5th is when we reached an agreement and I signed. And so camp was over so I signed, I think, on a, maybe a Tuesday or Wednesday, and and the kick like opener was on Sunday, three days later. Wow! Yeah. yeah so they had a, a special thing, which they I'm sure they have now. They gave me a two week or a player exemption, so I wouldn't count against the 53 man roster, but I could be there and I could start learning the offense and I could start practicing, but knowing for the first two weeks I cannot step foot step foot on the field to play a game or in yeah. the game because you know you got to cram this whole new offense and you know this whole new system into your mind and not only that you've got all these players now now everybody's good it's not like oh good we're playing <laughs> we're playing this team who's very bad and they all you know have very average players even the bad teams have great players now in the right. NFL so, so, you know, my first experience was, you know, I, I didn't go through camp and, you know, got a lot of flack for it as, you know, I guess I should have. Um, but again, it was a business decision. Right. Right. And, and um, right or wrong or indifferent, that, that was something that did hurt um, my like adjustment, you know, and that's, again, I take, I own that it's of my own doing and, and when you miss six weeks of camp, especially as a rookie, you're missing a ton. You are missing a ton. Even if you're like, well, I don't want to get hurt. It's like, that's okay. Just go to camp, be in shorts in a jersey, watch the plays, learn the plays, go in the, all the meetings, go into the offices, learn everything except don't hit anybody because if that's what you're worried about as an unsigned player – 
So because that would have put that would put you light years ahead of where I was. But I was so arrogant and, and you know, I was the boss of, you know, I thought I was the boss. Right. I was the, I'll, I know the best way to do this, you know, and do it. We'll do it my way. And it's like, look, my way almost got me killed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, God, so that's amazing. So you. You begin your career in Green Bay, right? Yeah, you're yeah. you're playing. I mean, you got thrown right into the fire. I mean, you're trying to learn the system and yeah. and and everything, right? And and correct me if I'm wrong. At this point, you had stopped using the steroids already. At this point, correct, correct. correct. So you're yeah. like, so you. This is. I'm sure it's some somewhat of an adjustment, you know, body wise. Yeah. But what do you think? Uh, you know, if there's anything to be learned, I guess would be the best way to ask this. What do you think went wrong in Green Bay? What could you say is, hey, you know, here this this is why it didn't work out. Now I, I'm going to say this as a fan. I I have come to understand, and head coach Mike McCarthy, who used to be with the Packers, now with the Dallas Cowboys, said when he was with the Packers, he doesn't believe there's any bad players in the league. There are good. And they're great. And sometimes the difference between good and great is the perfect situation, the perfect scenario for that player. Um, You know, it's just such a thin thread between the Mm -hmm. worst team in the league and the best team in the league, right? Any given Sunday, all those things you hear. Um, What what would you say it was, Tony, that that kind of, you know, kind of went 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 south in Green Bay? Well, I I, first of all, I want to say is I don't mean to cut you off, but. I'm not going to sit here and pretend, and I know none of our listeners are going to pretend that Green Bay was a powerhouse. They were garbage in the '80s, right? right I mean, it right. was as far as a right. win-loss record. So, not compared, to- yeah, compared to the you know when Reggie got there and Brett was taken off. I mean, they were a different Packer team. But um, you know, I when I stepped foot in Green Bay, I was already failing, and it was. And it had nothing to do with Green Bay. It had to do with me because I was I had already kind of replaced like steroid use with started to abuse opiates and started to indulge more in alcohol. So I had already was kind of say self-sabotaging and I was coming into Green Bay tripping, you know, more or less metaphorically, not literally, but I was like tripping and I never really gave myself a chance or really Green Bay a chance. There was a lot of times, I've mentioned this before, not not too many times that I've mentioned this, but Green Bay, the organization, the coaches, the people that, you know, were immediately attached to it, gave me every opportunity to succeed. They, They went... There were times when I look back, you know, once my head cleared up after I got sober years later, there were times I looked back and I was like, man, like, you know, this guy, this coach went out of his way to have like a a sit down talk with me that wasn't like a a scolding talk. It was like, hey, what's going on? Like, are you okay? You know, like, like a human talk. Wow. And so, you know, it's like they were salt of the earth people. And then, you know, and then the fan, you know, how do you not mention the fans too? the fans were as much as fans are fans, they were still forgiving to a degree. You know what I'm saying? And it's like, you know, maybe if they started to indulge more in alcohol, they didn't become as forgiving. Right. (laughs) 
they become more like you're a bum, you're a bust or whatever. But I was given plenty of opportunities and there was plenty of chances were plenty of instances where green Bay went out of its way to try to help me, but they couldn't put their finger on the problem. And I knew what the problem was. Gotcha. It was the chemicals. Um, and everybody, including the media was so wrapped up into the steroid part. I was like, this is, you know, I'm thinking to myself at that time, this is fantastic. Everybody's distracted by the steroids. I don't have to worry about testing positive for steroids because I'm not taking them. And nobody can, you know, because they're so distracted and focused on this, nobody sees all this opiate abuse. I didn't even think about that. That's that right? makes so much sense. Yeah. So and that, at that time, I'm thinking, boy, this is great. Right. right. But right. little do you know, it's like, well, the biggest loser is you, me. You know, you're, you're the one sabotaging yourself. You're the one not living up to, you know, even the status quo of what you should be putting out for this organization and this community and these fans. Yeah. And I, I don't want to, uh, if, if you're uncomfortable talking about this, um, it's totally cool. You just say, Hey, no, nah, let's, not, let's not no. touch on it. But one of the things I've heard from several players, I've got a friend too that that played in the early 2000s, actually for the Patriots. He uh, was an undrafted free agent, kind of an edge hybrid defender. Um, went to camp with them, went on to two other teams, and he and I've heard this from other people on podcasts and former players were like, "You would walk in the locker room, and again, this isn't the dog, the organization, or the NFL mm -hmm. as a whole, but this is what sticks out in my mind." They said you would walk into the locker room after a practice or in the training room and they had 55 gallon garbage cans full of painkillers and it was mm. grab a handful and go. Was that, did you witness that or no? Never okay. saw it. Okay. I, I wish you know, at the <laughs> time, <laughs> at the time I would have been like grabbing the whole barrel and putting it in my locker. <laughs> <laughs> and we but, were talking, you know, those people that, that I heard say that was probably, you know, what, 20 years difference, you know, from when you played. Yeah. Um, I was just curious yeah. with that. Like, but, I wonder what it was like, you know, how, how did it, yeah. how did it come so easy? You know, obviously the pain, my goodness, you know? Yeah. And you know, it, it starts off with the correct motivation of taking a medication medication usually you know usually medication taken correctly as prescribed will benefit you mm -hmm. that being said i will throw in a disclaimer that not all medication will do that <laughs> especially <laughs> since the last three years but that's hey, my hey, hey. that's my opinion that's my opinion well and i'll say this doesn't mean i'm right or wrong opinion but we share a similar opinion. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> right. And, and I'm not going to, you know, uh, like, it's like, I'm not afraid to talk about that issue. But, yeah. you know, besides that, like, I never saw, it's like, stuff was not just handed out freely, painkillers okay. and stuff. Uh, I can say this, I manipulated many doctors and many pharmacists um, in the state of Wisconsin and surrounding states um for narcotics in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high value jordan love card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arenaclub.com the only repack that provides real value a complete view 
on all possible cards and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy slab packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Gotcha. And Brett said something similar. Brett Favre said the same thing. It's like he would he would go around doctors in the area and, and yeah. make sure that he had everything he, he wanted and needed. And this yeah. is something that hits home to me, Tony. I didn't tell you this offline, but my, <clears throat> my mother actually overdosed on opioids. Um, back in 2020, not too long okay. ago, right. she, you know, spent 20 years working on the highway, uh, a black topping company yeah, had yeah. to have both her knees replaced. And we lived in a part of the country in in uh, Harlan County, Kentucky, which they call the Oxycontin capital of the world. Mm. Um, these doctors were just, I mean, they were handing it out like candy, trying to get it into the community and everything. Right. And there's many documentaries on that and, and big pharma and all that. But yeah. she, I watched her literally go from, Okay, she had to have both knees replaced. And at first it was for the pain. And then obviously you begin abusing it and it, and it right. ultimately cost her a life, you know. And, and right. those last, you know, I'm not, it doesn't make me happy saying this, but those last seven years of her life, it wasn't my mom anymore. It was, you know, it was a different person. And right. a family member, you know, it's, it's frustrating because you're like, how, how can I help? And, and at the same time, in the back of your mind, you're going, this is, she was my hero. She was right. the hardest working human being I had ever right, right, you know, right. been in contact with. And it's like, who am I to say, I understand what she's right. feeling or going through. And then, right. then you look up and it's too late. And, you know, I hear right. your story and it's like, it, it wasn't too late, man. You came out the other side. And, and, and I think the biggest thing too, is owning it. You just got to own it. She never owned it. And right. that's probably what saved your life. Right. Is saying, Hey, look, well, this- yeah. I mean, the the grace of God saved my life. It's uh, it was when when I had so many like I said Green Bay people and then and then people in Michigan that you know when I lived in Traverse City, Michigan after Green Bay, <clears throat> there was so many people tried to help me, but until 
the pain became overwhelming. And I want to say more emotional pain than physical pain. But when the when that pain became so overwhelming that why like why am I on such a set like a seven eight year losing streak, mm-hmm. and why are all of these relationships fractured, you know, from family to friends to acquaintances to whatever, and you realize you know if you're really going to take a hard, cold hard look at yourself, you're like you're the common denominator and all this stuff. Yeah. So maybe let's look at my role in all this stuff. And then, and that's kind of where you at least can start before that, even that admission happens. And to me, for me personally, being able to do that and take a look at myself, that in itself was a miracle and an act of God. Because like I said earlier, I had all the answers. I mean, unfortunately, we have stuff on VHS tape to prove it, right? Because like I had all the answers for me. I had all the answers for you. I had all the answers for the Packers. And it was everybody's fault but mine. It was my mom and dad's fault, my brother's fault, my wife's fault, uh, my coach's fault, the Packers organization, the fans' fault, the media's fault. Um, It's like it's like until I said, hey, wait. It, maybe it's you, you know, maybe it's you. And um, until that happened and what drove that to happen was uh, emotional pain. And I think that was, I, I uh, there's a friend of mine that says, and, and I really like this quote. He says, you know, God loved you enough to let you make your own mistakes. Yeah. And then you could realize, and then you could, then you have a choice. Do I want to continue down this path of hell or do I want to start correcting things? And just because you remove chemicals, whatever those chemicals are, whether they're steroids or opiates or Coke, or it doesn't matter what it is, Hmm. just because you remove those, like, it doesn't mean you're a saint. You have to change your behavior. You have to change you. And a lot does change immediately because the chemicals are removed, but there's a lifelong process of working on yourself the rest of your life. And as, you know, as I get older or I'll say wiser, um, (laughs) you know, almost 57, the road narrows as I get older and on things that I will do and things I won't do as far as moral laws, you know, and, 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 and character and stuff like that. And I don't, you know, profess to be a saint. Um, My biggest thing that I really keep, like I'd like to keep things fundamental and simple. My biggest thing is, am I a better version of myself today than I was yesterday? Because if I am, I'm in the right direction. If I'm not, I need to find out why I'm not. And then I need to correct that. And I shouldn't compare myself to anybody else or any other people. And that's why when we talk, you know, going back a little bit, talking about, you know, the the 70s and 80s decade was steroid use was prevalent in the college and pro football. Well, I don't, that's why I won't compare to other players. What they're, what they did is their business. Yeah. 
And, and I'm not going to throw anybody into the bus. It's like if they wanted to, and everybody kind of knew everybody was doing it. Right. Okay. So I can only own my stuff and be responsible for my stuff and be transparent about it. And, you know, and, and again, try to every day be a better version than of myself than I was yesterday. Yeah. God. So such a strong response because it's like everything that everyone wants in life, everything we dream of in life, it's 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 right there to be taken, but we have to get out of our own way. We have to kind of go, hey, look, I don't have all the answers. I don't have, you know, if yeah. I did, I would be further along. I have to remind yeah. myself that all the time. Right. And what you said about, you know, it, it, you know, what's the common denominator here? I could not tell you how many times I find myself in a situation and I go, hold up a minute. That person ticked me off. That person ticked me off. This didn't and, and all I can think about, there was this man that lived behind us in Kentucky. His name, I just knew him as Mr. Vanover. Right? So right. he told me one time and it stuck with me. I use it on the podcast all the time. He said, if everywhere you go, you smell dog crap, you might want to check your book. That's what he said. <laughs> That's a great line. And I'm telling you, it, it stick, and there's this day. It's true. This week, I'm sure this week I was like, hold up, man. It can't be everybody else. Maybe you need right. to step back a second. Right. right. Um, wow. It's so. That's powerful stuff, Tony. It's, it's powerful, true. man. Um, it's and someone being willing to open themselves up and be vulnerable and say, hey, look. Yeah, because if it reaches one person, I don't know if this podcast will and this talk we have will reach them. I know you're reaching people because I've heard about it. Right. Um, but if we reach one person, it was worth it, right? Just Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I have the opportunity to be able to talk about my personal experience, and that might help somebody. Every See, my story is no more important than your story or your mom's story or anybody's story in this chat or anybody that ever listens to this podcast as years go by. Everybody has a story and everybody's story is important. Yeah. And it doesn't have to be a story of alcohol abuse or drug abuse. It could be a story about whatever and how they overcame it, because that's what interests me is how do you overcome the adversity? How do you do it? Because if, if you do it kind of the same way I do it, okay, cool. That confirms that it works. If you do it a different way, it's another tool I can put in my toolbox for future adversities. Yeah. So because they're because future adversities are guaranteed. Yeah. So what was it? Do you remember the day or, or you know, just the the time around the time that you said enough's enough? I'm fixing this. Do you remember mm -hmm. kind of that moment where you go, I'm I'm digging out of this and I'm changing? Yeah, it was in Traverse City, Michigan. And, and a, a very good friend of mine had a talk with me. And I didn't think he knew that I was abusing opiates as much as I was, but, um, you know, he had found out that I was, and, and, and he, he was a dear friend. And, and I mean, he still is a friend, even though geographically we're so far away, we don't communicate very much, but he had, he had said to me, look, I wish I could say that he said something profound and he did obviously say something profound, but he said the same thing that, 500 people have said to me in the, in the five years prior, if you don't change what you're doing, you're going to die. And he's in, in one thing that kind of stuck, you know, st stuck out a little bit was he says, you've been out of the league now for three years. And I was like, wait, I know I've, I've been out of the league like nine months. 
And I had actually been out of the league for three years. Wow. And I like literally went up. So you got to think this is 1995. So I like went up to the wall where like you'd have a wall calendar, right? (laughs) (laughs) Which I don't even know if people use anymore. (laughs) But I'm looking at the date and the year and I'll be like, oh my gosh, it has been three. It's 1995. And, and I got, you know, booted out of Green Bay in 92 because, you know, they didn't want to renew my contract. They wanted nothing to do with me. As, and I don't blame them. And, and I, you know, and I was like, wow. And then I said, look, I've tried literally hundreds of different ways because I know that that's the problem. Um, but I said, I can't, you know, I just can't seem to kick it. And he, and he, he had asked me, he's like, have you ever tried an inpatient treatment center? And I said, no, but I'm willing to try and and then i stepped went back on my words right away i said you know what let me give me 24 hours to think about treatment right and you know he you know he's like absolutely and and you know when he left i i remember walking into the the bathroom and looking myself in the mirror at my house and i was disgusted with what i saw i was disappointed disgusted is a good description um i i was like you know what it was kind of like i hated the you know hated the person in the mirror and i was like right then and there i knew and he had only left an hour like an hour and i and i was like this was like say four or five in the afternoon and i said in the morning i'll give you an answer and i still you know and i just had one of those nights of um, a lot of contemplation and reflection on life. And, and not, I shouldn't say life, but just my experiences in the, in the last, say, five or ten years. And how did I get here from being, <clears throat> you know, on top of the world in college to a fast off the cliff, right? And... And so a lot of like that self-evaluation and, and then and I called them the next day and I said, yeah, I said, I want to, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do anything to get sober. I said, because I do not want to live in, in this hell. Like I don't want to live in this misery again. And, um, and they didn't have a, the treatment center I went to wasn't just outside of Detroit in Brighton, Brighton, Michigan. And it was just called Brighton hospital. And I think it's still, still there, but, uh, yeah, I had I had had enough of my BS. I was sick and tired of myself and all of the BS that was coming out of my mouth. Wow, it's uh, <laughs> it's gonna help people, man. It is. So you make this comeback, right? You get cleaned up, yep. and I heard you say on another podcast you were talking with some of the Michigan State guys, which is just excellent. Oh yeah, guys. yeah, good guys. That was a lot of fun, man. A lot of fun. Um. I heard you, uh, you know, kind of talking to them and saying, all right, I'm going to do it the right way. Right. And you yeah. made your comeback. And and yeah. we all know just to skip ahead a little bit. And then I want to backtrack and hear kind of how that unfolded. You go to the Colts, you play for two years. I believe you started 16 three, three years. Was three? three? Years. Yeah. Wow. And you play. At the, yeah. So, I mean, you kind of burst back onto the scene. And, and the way I remember it and looking back, pretty solid years, too. Like it was. Yeah. You play at this I, level. You know, they were solid. From my perspective, 
it was like a miracle. Like, <laughs> right. I couldn't like I couldn't get off the couch because I was doping so much. And 11 months later, I'm sober and re-signed in, in the league. So it's a shock that somebody even gave me a chance because I had burned all my bridges. So I think to myself, okay, just because you sign doesn't mean you make the 53-man roster. You still got to make the roster and, and, and then, you know, aspirations to play. But I thought to myself, again, to me it was, you know, it's a God shot. It's one of those, it was another reminder that, you know, when you do the work and you do the right things and, you know, I'm very extremely faith-based and have have been really most of my life but especially you know in my you know later adult life um you know it's like it's easy to say you know god will take care of things but you just can't sit around doing nothing you know it's like you have to do you have to double and triple down on your on your works um and, you know, so I was lucky enough that Indy gave me a chance. And when I talked to them, when they worked me out, I was as, you know, as transparent with them as I am with you today. And I said, look, this is what happened. And, and I gave them the synopsis and they had some questions and I answered them. And I said, so just so you guys know, you're getting damaged goods because you're taking a risk. If you even choose to give me a contract or offer me a contract, you're taking a risk on we're uh, on a, somebody who's in recovery where more than 50% of the people relapse. So you're taking a risk with damaged goods. And I wasn't, was that going to help me make more money? Heck no. Right. But you know what it was doing? It was being transparent and letting them know and let's not BS ourselves, we're the product that goes on the field. When Peyton's not on the field, not as many people go to the game. When Favre's not on the field, not as many people go to When Sterling Sharp is not on the field, who should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way, <laughs> not, as many, not as many people go to the game. So it's a you're the product, and I understand that. I'd say 99% of the players understand that. If they don't, they're naive. But it, it's like... I want them to know that if they're willing to risk taking a chance on me, I want them to know the truth and that they're, that, that I'm, I come with baggage that I'm cleaning up. Yeah, it's, it almost, and you correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like for the first time in a long time, if not maybe your entire life, but adult life, you got to the point where it's like, I'm good enough. I'm, I, I can. Oh yeah. You know, I, I'm I'm okay with myself. I'm okay with the person I'm becoming, and yeah. and just open yourself up because you I mean six foot six, three hundred and eight pounds, running a yeah. four six forty. This monster of a human being. You're built up all through college, and rightfully so. Arguably the one of the best offensive linemen to ever play college ball. You're built up on this pedestal. I'm I'm superhuman. Right. You know. Right. And right. then for it to come crashing down, and then you having to accept the fact that hey, look. This is who I am, and I'm going to make the best out of what's remaining. That's that's yeah. that is the true comeback story. It's amazing. Yeah, to me that to me, you know, and I, I think I said this. I said this on a 
podcast I did yesterday. <clears throat> I think it was the podcast yesterday. You know, I, I mean, as any athlete that has made it to a professional level in any sport, you're going to accumulate a lot of trophies and awards from high school throughout all the way up to pros. And if you're lucky enough in the pros, you get some awards. And I had, you know, lots of stuff, right? I mean, and just in the last three years, I got rid of everything except one thing. Uh, the only thing I kept was this probably $5 plaque that was a 1996 Indianapolis Colts comeback player of the year. Wow. That was it. I was the only player ever to be on the all Madden team out of college. Cause that's for the pros. Yeah. Well, right. John, John Madden had named me to that team from Michigan state when I was still in college. Wow. I didn't realize that. Yeah. The so to this person. day. Yeah. And, and now they don't have that award anymore, but they, you know, they ran it for like whatever, 15 years or 20 years. So I got this awesome like trophy, like it was cool. It was very heavy, like pewter and, and all the names etched into it. And you look at all the names of all the players. You're like, man, like all these guys are awesome. And you got that award by, from John Madden for being like nasty and tough, right. like Gritty, one of the yeah. blue collar. Right. So, I, you know, that I always cherish that award is because it was given by a coach Right. And it was given to somebody who was in college who wasn't even in the pros yet. And yet he was naming me. But it's time. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I still am proud of that. I, like, I appreciated that. But it didn't mean anything to me anymore. And it wasn't like it meant like I didn't feel like I didn't deserve it. I didn't feel like, well, I took steroids, so I don't deserve it. I didn't feel like that at all. I still don't feel like that. Right. It just didn't mean that much to me, I looked at everything I had and the thing that meant to most to me was probably one of the things that was physically least expensive. It was a little plaque that I was awarded after the, my first year in Indy for 1996 comeback player of the year. And cause that means more to me, the work that went into getting that and my aspiration wasn't to get that. My aspiration was to slay the demons and prove to myself and 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 basically make a quiet amends by playing the game right, keeping my mouth shut, not being an arrogant SOB, and just doing the right things. Just be a role model, be a leader, be the best you can be. Don't do it the way I know what not to do. Right. And don't don't do those things. So it gave me a lot of good direction and i was lucky enough to get the opportunity because like i said that nobody had to offer me one so you know that was like that little plaque i keep and it's not even on a wall it's just in my closet but i keep it because i i don't want to get rid of it because i think probably just because of the meaning behind it yeah. that was harder it's harder to overcome a great adversity or I should say it was harder to overcome that great adversity than it was to be the second player taken in the draft. Yeah. Three That's times so as hard. Balanced. Five times as hard, maybe. Yeah, don't don't ever get rid of that. Play if, no, I, if yeah, you I need won't. someone to hold it, we will lock it away out with a secure box because man that's like that is that is the Lombardi. I, it sounds silly, but that's the yeah. Lombardi award. Yeah. To yeah. your life. And it, yeah. and it is amazing. It's probably like you said, probably the thing that, that has the least amount of 
you know, monetary. You yeah, know, value. physical value. It's just a plaque on a piece of wood. And it's, you know, it's just, it's a nice little plaque you can get at any, you know, award store have made for a high school team or whatever. And here's the, here's the great thing. Everybody's capable of doing that. You know, it doesn't have to be an NFL player capable in your own life of overcoming great adversity. I had great adversity. Everybody's got great adversity in their life. Unfortunately, mine was on the front page. Right. So, you know, that's that's why maybe more people know. Okay. But you, everybody, your neighbor, at some point in life, everybody has great adversity. And that's when I think is a great time to look at yourself and ask yourself, okay, now I'm going to see what I'm made of. Now I'm going to see how much faith do I really have? Because I can be all smiley and happy when the money's flowing and the kids are healthy and the relationships are right and everything's going well. It's easy to be happy then. It's when you're hit with adversity after adversity, and they don't all have to be mountains. They can just be speed bumps, some of them hills and some of them mountains. But how do you persevere that over time? And that's, you know, when I find out that, you know, who I am, what I am, what do I stand for? And I'm not perfect. I do fail, but I know that I can get over it. And I know I can move on and I'm not perfect. I, I'm not perfect by any means. I have a lot of work to do, which gives me hope that I will live a longer life. Right. Yeah. Cause there's so much work to still do and to become a better, you know, a better, you know, I don't want to get all biblical, but a better child of God, you know? Right. It's like, I know that that you say the word God around people and they, some people get weird, but it's like, you know what, if they're saying all these other terms, I'm not going to be ashamed of, saying you know christ or or my god either come on come on man <laughs> so it's uh it's time that for me i am gonna start being more vocal about it yeah because, hey, you know yeah, that inspires me to be more vocal about it tony it does yeah. and and it, it the <clears throat> the thing that bothers me is there's this picture that's painted of someone who is a christian Someone who believes in God or has a however you want to word it. There's so many. There's right. five thousand different ways that right. people, you know, try to construct it. Now, and it's it's like you're it's it's way simpler than that. It's way right. simpler than that. But it, when you get to the point where it's you know what, everything in society is telling us you've got to impress everyone. We've got all these filters on Instagram. We've got, you know, social media and everybody's trying to act like they're better than they are. And they yeah. and everyone's just so damn afraid to be the person that they are and accept others for who they are. That's right. how we all grow. Um, yeah. We need more people talking like that. Yeah. We need more yeah. people that rather than being, hey, look, I'm attached to this political party or that political party or this faith. It's. What can I do to help the person next to me? What can just a yeah. it could be a smile, it could be encouragement, right. it, it could be money, it could be anything. Yeah. But yeah. what can I do to make this place a little bit better than the way I found it? You know? Um, exactly. And and I think we can do it. I do. I end every show. I know, yeah. I, I know we can do it. 
I end every show with let's go out and be the change that we want to see in the world. And, yeah. and I'm sure there's people that roll their eyes when they hear it and that's okay. They, they've got the right to believe the way they want to believe. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I know this, when, when you're laying on that deathbed and you're drawing that last breath, I have a hard time believing I'm going to be sitting there going, I wish I'd have posted one more picture on social media. <laughs> right. It's probably going to be, right. I let that person down. I wish I'd have yeah. done a little bit more. And yeah. at this moment, it's how can we forgive ourselves and be a better human being to other people? That way, yeah. when it is all said and done, it's a hey, man, I, for lack of a better way of putting it, I've left it all on the field, right? I've yeah, fought the exactly. good fight. Exactly. Exactly. And, um, and my thing now is, uh, is I need to be more vocal about it. Yep. And, um, I, I, you know, I'm not worried about getting canceled because you can't really cancel me from anything. It's like I'm an entrepreneur, so it's like you can go ahead, cancel whatever you want. I'm not big enough to cancel anymore. You know, at one time maybe, but I've also been very careful with my speech because I don't I don't want to stir stuff up. Right. Right. Yeah. But I also don't want stuff shoved in my face either. Absolutely. And 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 you know, the more you know, the thing that happened in 2020. As planned as it was, these are my words, nobody else's. I think it was good because it revealed more corruption around the world than it did, I think, the initial plan, how they wanted it to work out. Okay. Mm -hmm. And that corruption being revealed made me kind of tilt my head and go, huh? Like, what is this? Like, what are these people saying? like about this or about this topic or like, like, you know, it's like, they're saying, it's like, I'm holding a remote up and I'm saying, okay, this is black. And they're saying, no, it's yellow. And it's right. like, no, it's black. And they're, and it's like, they will fight to the death that it's yellow. Right. It's like, well, this stuff doesn't make sense. All that being said, and obviously that's just an example. Yeah. Seeing all these things, I started to see a lot of, a lot of stuff that was, that was not so much left or right, or my opinion or against your opinion, I was starting to see way more good versus evil. Yeah. And that drove me back to the Bible for me hmm. because now I was like, okay, now I'm going to study the Bible instead of just reading it. I'm going to study it. And, you know, that will take a, the rest of my life, but it brings it back to fundamentals and the moral laws for me. And, it's like, yeah, these are the things that I'm in line with. Do I have a lot of work to do? Absolutely, we all do. Yeah. But it's it's uh, that for me is a foundation. Now, when you start stepping on that foundation, I'm going to start standing up for it. Absolutely, yeah. You knock yeah. on that door, we yeah. got to answer it. Got to answer. Yeah, yeah. And you know, the the thing that that drives me crazy is if you took someone who is on this side extreme and someone on this side that was extreme and you removed all the talking heads all the mouthpieces all of the right. quote-unquote data all the facts right. and the fa all that right. and you sat down in a room and said what do you want your life to be like in your country to be like i guarantee you tony you're going to come away going i understand their point but they've got us so divided that you yeah. can't even have that conversation yeah. You know, I mean, you nailed it. It's true. What you said is is hundred percent true. There's, we are way more in common with our neighbors 
than higher authorities want us to think we are. Absolutely. They're in the business. It seems like they're in the business of division. Right. And it's like, wait a second. Why am I not seeing this division? Because 99% of the people I encounter are very, fairly rational and level-headed <laughs> and friendly. Yep. You know, and, 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 you know, and it's like, so I'm not, you know, again, it was one of those things that just wasn't adding up and it drove me back to the book to start studying, not just reading it, but studying it and understanding it. And, you know, it's like bringing it around full circle to Reggie White. Reggie White was a minister. Reggie White was an extremely, extremely uh, very much a man of God. Yeah. And he played like that. And, you know, I played against him three times and, you know, the guy was like a, a complete package of a human being, not just a football player. He didn't talk smack. You know, he, he, he was just an unbelievable human being. And, you know, the first time he like just like ragdoll me to death. Second time I played against him, you know, he still dominated, but I played way better but you're comparing it to something when you got ragdolled. So, you know, it's like, okay, well, I played better. I didn't get as ragdolled. And then the third time I played against him, I was an Indian. He was in Green Bay. He was on the latter part of his career. And I would say it was pretty much like a neutral. Yeah. But he was in the latter part of his career, and he was still one of the <laughs> top three defensive ends in the league. It's and crazy. I thought to myself, like, that just shows you – Hitting Reggie and playing against Reggie was like playing against concrete. And everybody else was drywall. So that's exactly what Mike Wall said. He, he worded it yep. different, but he said, when you hit Reggie, it was like, that's immovable. Like, that's <laughs> <You're right. laughs> wow. That is wild. And, and right. you know, with Mike, that's a guy that went to the Naval Academy. Um, right. Just, you know, yeah. absolutely. You guys have yeah. a lot in common. Just the, He said yeah. he absolutely loved yeah. working out. He, he said, I think I loved – the conditional aspect as much, if not more than the game. I just love that whole, yeah. you know, yeah. challenge. His stuff. whole, yeah. His whole, as far as a, a human being and a, a, a man of character, he was as much, he was as great a man of character as he was a football player on the football field. Yeah. I mean, you know, if, if I would say, look, aspire to be like this kind of a man, I would point to a Reggie white. Yeah. You know, and, um, you know, I feel fortunate that I, I just, you know, that I got to play against him three times. And, you know, we had some minor, minor, minor discussions on the field, you know, that were all civil. But it was like just to be able to watch his career and be like, you know, wow, like that is the way to do it. Like what he he's doing something right. It's not just ability. It's not just physical ability. He, he, he's got something else going on, too that he's harnessed with that ability and, you know, broke my heart when I heard and the day he passed, it really broke my heart. And I didn't think it would affect me as much as it did, wow. you know, because, because it's not like a guy that I would call or, 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 you know, maybe, uh, you know, two minutes of full conversation with him over, you know, a three or four year period. And, but, the impact he left just by the things he said and more so by how he lived his life. Yeah. Yeah. I was lucky enough to be in Lambeau when they retired his number and the night before, I, 
I get it mixed up. It was either Friday night or Saturday night before. I'm pretty sure it was Friday night before. I got to meet his wife and mm-hmm. one of his sons. I think I think he had multiple kids, but it was I believe his oldest son. Man, just amazing people, and and yeah. her just she that same joy that you've seen on Reggie's face when he was not doing the hump move and throwing people across right, the right, field. Right, you right. could see it in her eyes, and it was just like yeah. wow. It just and still a woman of faith, even though she had lost Reggie. And right. I, I'll, I'll be real when when he passed, I, the first thing that went through my mind was what happened, and then the second thing was, well, what a reward he had waiting on him for the right. human being he was. I, I mean, seriously, I mean, Maybe. that's it, it is. It's an, an incredible human being. Well, you've been extremely generous with your with your time. And uh, I'll tell you, Tony, we we appreciate it. I, I want to end it with this. There's been a ton of comments here tonight that have rolled through that said, we got to get him back to Green Bay. We got to get him in Lambeau. Have you been back? Have you uh, have you went back to Lambeau? You know, it's interesting. I have not been back since 92 or 93. So that's you know, almost 30 years. So, you know, like when I look at the stadium, like when they're on primetime football and I'm like, (laughs) like that thing just looks awesome. You know, it's like the field's the same though. Right. And it's like, and I, I know that feeling in that stadium and it's like, and it's like, it's, it's on, I'm kind of like, you know what? I have a feeling when the time is right, I'll come back. And but I can't be also, you know, too, too, you know, nonchalant about it. It's like, I have to make, I have to do some actions and, and I have to come back and just, you know, re revisit that and see all the changes. And, you know, and I mean, I remember the, you know, it's like funny things you remember the paper mills, right? It's like, it's funny. Like, why do I remember the paper mills? Cause they were huge. I mean, they, they were all around the world at Fort Howard, you know? And so I, look, I don't even know if Fort Howard's still in business. I don't know if they lead the world's industry in paper still, I, you know, but <laughs> I remember being in, going to restrooms, doesn't matter where you were, you'd see Fort Howard like imprinted on the metal thing. And, <laughs> you know, I was like, you know, Green Bay has made a stamp for itself. Right. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I got to get back. Yeah. How about this? And and it's, there's plenty of time to plan, but the draft is going to be in Green Bay in 2025. Oh, what nice. if we get Tony Mandridge back in the house for the 2025 yeah. NFL draft? Can we make that happen? I, I look at, there's no reason why it can't happen. Yeah. Let's do that. I, let's I would be willing. I would be willing. I'm going to go ahead and start the campaign and, and Ryan who, uh, who founded Packernet podcast, who we're doing this podcast for, um, uh, I know he'll back it as well. We need to make this happen. Cause I'm telling you, I know this isn't your style, but I'm going to say it. And this is my opinion. This isn't Tony's everything I've seen in the media for the most part, other than the, e, the, the, you know, E60 where they, you know, did the, yeah. and actually heard your side of the story. It's bus, selfish, all these things. People need to hear how this story ended. And and it yeah. not not ended, but you know, that chapter closed, which opened yeah. up this whole new opportunity of yeah. uh of making a difference in this crazy little world, man. We're gonna make it happen holding you to it, Tony. We're going to the draft all right. of 2025. All right. That, that's a, what a great place to have a draft. 
Yeah, that's what you we know, said. I mean, could you imagine I mean, the brat smell that we talked oh. about? <laughs> <laughs> I might gain 10 pounds on that trip. <laughs> yeah, Tony, thank you so much, man. We, my I pleasure, can't, man. Anything else you got that you want to you want to share before we wrap up? No, I just, you know, I, I appreciate you inviting me onto the podcast and, and, and I didn't come on here with any motivation to clear my name or anything. It's like, what you see is what you get. It's like, yeah, we know. I mean, a lot of people know the story and some people don't. It's like, I don't feel compelled to make sure they know the rest of the story, but you know, it's kind of like it will help people. You know, it helps me, yeah. you know, because when I talk to people and they're like, all I knew was that first part because, you know, media doesn't like to cover good stuff. You know, it's like they like exactly. the, you know, headlines are, are the adversities and I'm not blaming them or anything. It's just, a, but it's like, yeah, there's, there's different parts of the story. And, and um, like Green Bay is always like, when I say Green Bay, I mean, I mean the fans, the, the, uh, organization the city they were always good to me they were yeah there were times that they were down on me but 99 percent of my experience in green bay the people were good to me and and I'll, you know it's something i'll never forget so with you know and so god bless them all and and uh and i look forward to coming back to to revisit awesome we're gonna make it happen Tony, right. thank you so much for your time. Thanks to everybody in the chat. Um, again, this uh, I heard that I want to give credit to you know that those guys on the Michigan State podcast because I would not have invited you on just out of the fact of I don't want to put him in a spot to where you know this turns negative for him. And then when I heard you tell your story, I'm like, oh my goodness, this is going to help somebody. <laughs> this is going to help people because yeah. we get this picture painted that just like we said with social media and everything else, that everybody's all hunky-go-dory and everything's perfect. Right. It don't have to be perfect. It don't matter where you're at. You can say right now, I'm drawing a line in the concrete. Hey, things are changing. And uh, right. and then to be able to just take it and flip it and, and help other people. is that's I, we're, we're only here for a limited amount of time, right? So let's, uh, right. let's see if exactly. we can make a good mess while we're here, right? Yep, and everybody can do it. Everybody can do it. Love it. Tony, thank you so much for your time. Right. Guys, we're going to get out of here. We really appreciate everybody hanging out with us. As always, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world. And go Pack Go.